Wamanjika, Hari Mai, welcome to the Voices of Regen podcast, uh, a space for unapologetically bold conversations about regenerative business. My name is, is Matt Sykes, and along with Claire Wilde, we're journeying again on this Conditions for Impact uh, series where we're speaking to, to um, I guess, thought leaders and action leaders around the world in, in their different areas to better understand how we can start to catalyze the shift towards regeneration, uh, not by understanding the products or services that can be created, but the underlying conditions. We use the metaphor uh, of soil in this. And so in order to cultivate the right soil for the regeneration movement and enterprises to grow. Before we begin, as always, uh, as is custom, we like to acknowledge country, which means to take a moment to acknowledge the lands, the waterways and the skies that we're connected to um, through our work. And also to acknowledge um, the, the communities, in particular, the traditional and, and indigenous communities that are connected to the regions that we're each coming from. So we're bridging a number of places in this conversations uh, in Uruguay, in Denmark, uh, in Melbourne, uh, Nam, Australia, and also um, Aotearoa through Claire's connection uh, back home as well. So I guess it's we're mindful of this conversation being around regional impact superpowers, which is very uh, place-based. And of course, traditional and indigenous peoples have that real well of wisdom um, that is place specific. So just acknowledging and honoring um, those connections to place and the knowledge systems. But also to, to see the way that knowledge is evolving and, and growing and the way that old knowledge is mixing with new technology as we dream forward together. And so it's an absolute pleasure uh, to be here with uh, Yulia Hort, who is the Program Director of Sustainable and Circular Transition at the Danish Design Centre, and also Mercedes Viola, who is the co-founder and director of 4D Lab based in Uruguay. So together, we're going to go on this conversation of exploring regional impact superpowers. So imagine uh, regions around the world uh, harnessing their expertise, their specific strengths and unique selling propositions to create benefit for their region, other regions, and the planet as the whole. So looking forward to diving in. And on that note, I'm going to pass to Claire, and we're going to step through some inter introductions so that we can get to know our guest speakers a little more. Yeah, kia ora, Matt, and thank you for introducing um, this really exciting conversation today. And absolutely stoked to have Julie and Mercedes here, who we'll hear from in just a moment. Um, so to pass over to the two of you, Julie, I might start with you. Uh, it would be wonderful for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself, the work you do, and the place that you're dialing in from. Thanks, Claire, and thanks, Matt, for, for having me here. I've been really excited about joining you guys. So I'm sitting in from Copenhagen right now. It's nine o'clock in the evening. It's winter, and it's very, very dark outside. Um, I work at the Danish Design Center with the accelerating the transition to a circular economy. And we do this by applying design thinking and design methodology for, for doing this. And we, we work hard to imagine a new society, this transition, this shift, and, and really try to help collaborators and, and businesses try to 
not only look now at what challenges we are, we are facing, but actually look at which preferred future we're working for. So we use scenarios and future design also to accelerate this transition among collaborations with, uh, with companies for business model development and, and collaborations across cities, companies and civic sector. So I try to be brief because <laughs> it can be a long story. That's what we do at the Danish Science Center. Oh, Julie, I think we're in for a very um, fascinating discussion with you. And one question that we love to ask each of our guests is to think back to your childhood. Um, and we'd love if you could share with us a memory that symbolizes your passion for your home. Yeah, I've been thinking about this and I think you really touched me at a moment in, in the winter moment. It's always quite a special feeling when we hit November and Denmark. It, it gets, I am always surprised how, how dark it is and you wake up in the morning, it's dark, you go to bed, uh, you, know, you, you go home after work and it's dark and it's, it's especially, it can be quite depressing for many, but it got me thinking about a memory. It's not from my childhood, but from my youth with my boyfriend, who's now my husband. I went to visit his family and they lived outside the city and he invited me for a solstice ritual they have every year where you go into, well, when the sun is, is going down, you go into the woods, you, we walk up on a little hill, we set a fire and there was hot chocolate for the kids and, and, and hot cocoa and, and coffee and tea. And we sang two songs. One is like a formal song for this time of year and another song that the community themselves had written. And then we walked and then the sun really quickly goes down and we walked across the hills down back to the houses with torches. And I thought that was a really beautiful moment because it's, you know, the celebrating at this time of year is where, when it ends, it, it changes, uh, days get longer and longer, but also this community feeling that I also love about winter. Uh, I get a little bit depressed and I get a little bit gloomy, but there's also another sense of connection of people coming together in their homes, turning lights on that I think that, I'm, that I think is very special and, it's, and that has touched me, I think. And I've gone back to the solstice, uh, solstice ritual many times because it, it is quite special, I think. Thank you so much for sharing that, Julie. And I think, um, you know, traditions and, um, and repetitive memories that we have of, you know, for, for you, this particular time of year is so special and I think can be so grounding as well for us. Um, Mercedes, I'd love to throw to you now and hear a little bit more about yourself and um, the work you do and the place that you're connecting in from today. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here. Well, now at this moment I am in Montevideo, Uruguay. This is in South America. It's a very small country between two giants like Brazil and Argentina. I think that defines us sometimes. And well, actually I founded 4D Lab and there what we do is we promote cultures of communication, cultures of inclusion, cultures of regeneration. And together with many other organizations that could be companies, NGOs, communities, we're trying to design new ways of living together, human beings and non-human beings like finding new ways of living in which is a shared like well-being on this healthy planet. And actually 
personally, I devote most of my time uh, regenerating the social field, let's say, like trying to need inclusion. There are a lot of communities and people who are excluded uh, and have been excluded since ages. And well, this is one of the things I work uh, most of my time. And, and again, always in collaboration with many other people, with many other organizations, with many other communities, either from Uruguay or the region or global organization. I love that, working with other people. <laughs> Yeah, Mercedes, I think that point you made around um, social regeneration might have been your word. I'm really excited to delve into that a little bit more in this conversation, because I think often when we speak to people about regeneration, you're sort of trying to help someone understand what it means. Um, we kind of default to environmental or, or ecological regeneration, and we talk about things like um, regenerative farming methods and, you know, regenerating landscapes. And so I think the idea of social regeneration is one that's really interesting. And I'd love to um, sort of paint a fuller picture for our listeners around what that actually means, because I think a lot of people find it really tricky. Um, sticking with you, Mercedes, again, I'd love for you to cast your mind back to your childhood and share with us um, a memory that symbolizes passion for your home region. Yeah, well, when we were kids, uh, we usually go, used to go to beach in summertime with my family. I was like my parents, my three brothers, my sister, my aunt, my grandmother, my grandmother's sister. Actually, there were many of us and we usually invited some friends over as well. And we have friends there. And, and I remember that, like being a lot of people together, singing at night, maybe lighting a fire and singing, going to the beach. I really like the ocean and the sea. And my father taught me how to fish, going fishing, riding our bikes. These kind of activities that you do together with other people, or maybe you can do it by yourself if you are fishing, but in contact with nature and having time. And I think that was important, having time to listen to stories, sharing stories. And I think that is one of my most important memories. <laughs> That's so lovely, Mercedes. I think that idea of being connected with people in nature um, is something that's so important. And I would say when we ask, I guess, this question, that kind of theme comes up so much and it's so lovely to hear. Um, we might stick with you, Mercedes, to jump into some of the meatier questions today. And I think um, the first thing we'd really love to explore is the idea of connection to place. Um, often this is referred to as being a foundational concept in regeneration, and it really talks about, um, you know, connecting to our interdependence with living systems, um, nature, and also people together. And so I'd love to hear from you what it's like working and living in your region. Um, so, you know, how would you describe it to somebody else who might live in a completely different part of the world like, like Australia? <laughs> Nice question. And it's very difficult, actually. It's a question like, like it's very difficult to answer sometimes. No, but I would say that we are a country or no, a region that we have a, we are very connected to our land because in the past people would like, and nowadays also, no, we live very close to the land. We are, we have small cities, we don't have big cities. 
And there are a lot of cities and some of the most or the biggest cities or the biggest places are just near the shore, near the, the sea. Actually, it's what we call the Rio de la Plata. That we say it's a river, but it's a river as wide as the ocean. Because it's very wide, you cannot see the other side of the, the river. And so most of us actually tend to be connected to that. We go walk near the sea, um, relax there. And also in the relationship about people, uh, since as I was telling you, we have like small communities, we tend, we tend to know one another <laughs> most, most of the time. So that has its advantages and disadvantages, of course, but it's good in order to build trust, to connect to people, get to know people. Uh, and that is very important when you are trying to do things together to one another. For D, actually, the name for D comes from the, the appreciative inquiry cycle. That is like, well, discovery, dream, design, destiny, but it, that is based on actually the potential that each of us have uh, to grow, to build things. So we work on that, we work on finding the best of everybody instead of trying to uh, improve our weaknesses, and I put quotation because sometimes we work on the opposite, trying to people get to know their best, what they are good at, and build from there. So the connection with nature is very important in do that because you have final, you find moments of relaxation, gives you peace. So it's easier to work that way, I think. I love to hear that Mercedes and um really cool that example you gave around um how sort of forming those deeper connections and, and being more connected your, to, to your community has such an impact um in different areas of your life and I'd love to think now about the work that you do sort of more in a professional setting um can you describe to us the relationship between your organizations your organization and the land and the waterways around you yeah. Well, as I say, we are near the the shore where a beach resort. So actually, we work, as I tell you, we work towards the cultures of communication, inclusion, and regeneration. And I think being in con in contact with our context is very important for what we do for everything, but not only close to the to nature, but also close to people. They say we work a lot towards like regeneration, regenerating the social. And so first you need, in order to do that, you need to work on that and in your organization as well. That's why I was telling you about why we are called for the, because we believe, we always have believed that be yourself where you work, as well as not something like, well, uh, I am this person, but when I go to work, I'm somebody else because I need to do certain things that I don't feel like doing or whatever, or I don't enjoy doing. So we work very hard in order to create this culture in which everybody can be himself or herself. They can, I don't know, uh, progress. Uh, they can really realize themselves and we can grow from there. We can build from our 
potential from what we have, from what we are. So based on that, this is like grounding the, all the concepts you want and then to go outside the world. We work a lot with also with people with disabilities and we are in contact with a lot of different communities. Um, and we learn a lot from one another. And it's very important relating that the social field with the natural field, because for instance, a month ago, let's say a month ago, we created this event that is from a festival that we have created that we are doing it. We perform, we have this festival every year, but it was, it was in a place in the middle of nature. So people from different companies came, people with disabilities also came, a lot of people who were together there we spend two hours together, but in, in contact with nature. So immediately people like slow down. And this is something that if you want to connect, if you want to change something in the world, you need to, to create like an interruption to that world. I don't know if I am clear, because if we, we continue with the same speed, we continue with the same rhythm, it's very difficult to, to reflect and to see, well, where I am, who I am, who I want to relate to you and connect with you and really get to know you. So, this is how we relate to what we do, okay? We try to create like interruptions to this sometimes crazy rhythm that we have in our world, interruptions. And in general, it's better if you are in contact with nature, interruptions so you can really connect to yourself, connect to others, connect to nature and build from there. And I believe that is regenerating like the social field, connecting with one another. Yeah, Mercedes, when you first introduced yourself and talked about that social regeneration, and I said, let's delve into that today. I think uh, that example that you gave is absolutely spot on. Um, often when we work with organizations and, you know, I'm a consultant and I often am talking to organizations about what sustainability means to them and, you know, how their work relates to impacts on the natural environment. And I think often people find it really tricky to connect the dots between what they do and the place that they work in. And I think what you spoke about um, with the interdependence between, you know, individuals and communities and the environment and understanding how all of those things are interlinked. It's not just about a business interacting with the physical environment. It's about everyone interacting with each other and, you know, the ecosystems and the natural world is just part of that, I think is a very wise way of looking at it. Um, and I'd be really, and I'm, I'm personally very interested to see how um, that perspective that you just brought could perhaps support some of the organizations that I work with in my job. So thanks so much. Thank Julia, I might throw to you now um, with some similar questions that we explored with Mercedes, but really keen to hear, that, hear what that look, looks like from all the way over in Denmark. Um, so firstly, would love to hear from your perspective what it's like living and working in your region in, in Denmark and Copenhagen and how would you describe it to somebody um, in a different part of the world? It's fascinating hearing your story, Mercedes, and I feel like uh, yeah, I am really on the another in in another position, you know, in another place, and and uh, I love my place and and what I'm surrounded by, but there is also a completely different dynamic where I, I I'm a bit envious of of, of your setup, and because I'm in a I'm in a very smooth city with very high livability, with you know very highly educated. Uh, people, high trust, collaboration, great infrastructure, high digitization. It's, it's a city that's been, 
that's been rewarded for for its uh, livability, for its for how easily and smoothly you can you know move around the city. It's um, and it's 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 a wonderful place to be because it's so privileged, but it's also very controlled. It's not. It's very it's very tamed by the infrastructure and by by society around us. It's very organized and it's it's incredibly welcoming. But there's sometimes I miss some friction uh, in that space. And I thought it was interesting to experience during the COVID pandemic that people sort of by, by having to stay at home and not being able to use, uh, you know, culture and, and, and meeting places, the same place, they, they started visiting nature differently. And I, I, I live close by the beach and I can look over at Sweden um, and uh, just see people, you know, as people are winter bathing and bathing around all around the year, people walking and people hiking. And you see people really starting to get another kind of relationship to, to, um, the in the physical environment and nature that I don't think that you can easily avoid that right because everything is so smooth I think it's a privilege it makes us able to do things very differently it's a very we have a very high security net in Denmark and 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 we we can we complain if things don't run smoothly but I but this connection and this friction I think is something that I I don't see in the same way in in my region I see it's in a way of the way we we um we engage with with food and cooking, and everyone cooks at home. And people more and more cook with local um, local ingredients and and try to source them and find them in the woods and try to grow their own food. So there's a movement there, um, and there are of course several different movements where where we're finding a new connection to to nature. It's just a a different perspective um, coming from my side. Yeah. Thanks so much, Julie. It's really fascinating to hear um, how the example you gave around where friction exists uh, in, in sort of your culture and in your community. And it's really interesting to see how um, in some areas life might be more controlled and in other areas there might be friction. And you wonder if those are sort of maybe the necessary ingredients for a, um, you know, a, a functioning society. And maybe it just so happens um, that in Denmark and in Uruguay, those sort of areas of, of friction and um, and control and order might occur in different places. So yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Um, I'd love now to think about the work that you do in more of a professional context. And if you could describe the relationship between your organization and the lands and waterways around you. Yeah, so uh, we're based at the Danish Design Center and, and Matt's been there in this huge glass and steel building called Blocks. It's made by a Dutch architect. It's, it's very, it's not very Danish at all because Danish architects and buildings are often very democratic uh, and very open. Trend. Um, and this is this is very like big show off building, but I'm, I'm right by um, bicycle bridges. When I when I have meetings, I often look out and I can see the city moving around me. So I see people I see people swimming in the canal, and I see people biking and canoeing and and going to work. So we're very much I think actually positioned right close to how how the city evolves and how people relate and and act in the city. And I think this is very much something that we build upon in our work. Um, I. In, in terms of livability and in terms of trying to make 
the circular transition that can be very technocratic, something about material flows and waste systems also be societal and something about how you position people in them and how do you how do you make that transition in a way that we've in so many ways succeeded in doing in I guess in Copenhagen around making a very livable city. So how do you make that transition and in a way that really addresses both individual needs but community needs and, and brings you know a, a thriving society. So I think that really that there are some strong symbols around me that reminds me all the time when I have meetings around waste systems, just looking out at people swimming in the canal and biking, that it's it's about getting people to want to be part of this transition, which means behaving differently, uh, taking different decisions, uh, um, working together differently. And, and I think we constantly have examples of that we are able to do this. And, and um, so I think there are some connections in, in, in that way. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Julia and, and Mercedes, for kind of helping us lay this, this foundation in the conversation. It's perhaps... Uh, as it came up, it's rare to talk about work and the places that we work like this, you know, because it's often there, but it's 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 subtle or it's assumed. But uh, I think the it's interesting to feel the tone in the conversation shift when we do anchor ourselves with that awareness, um, because it seems to give us strength. You know that that's. I guess the the crux or the direction of this conversation. Um, so, but just before we we do that, there was a couple of things there that that really struck me around um, Mercedes talking about that connection to the land, the Rio uh, de Plata, um, and the the water. You've each mentioned water and that relationship between land and water in the way that you've you've talked. And uh, Julia, absolutely. When I walked into your your office and a lot of my connection to Copenhagen has been linked to the urban bars and harbour bars and things. And I looked out and there's, there's the water and there's the islands Brugge uh, harbour bath. And I was like, this is, this is, this is brilliant because it sets up this, this relationship. Um, and I, I feel like in the way you've each spoken that there's this pulse or this rhythm in your days, in your working lives that maybe isn't always um uh completely conscious but it comes up when you talk about traditions and different rituals and things so i guess all of this is to to now start to think about what happens when we use those connections to the places that we live and work in a in a deeper way um to turn them into superpowers for international trade and and business um, but with the focus on creating, you know, net benefits for community environment and, and our economy. And I just feel like uh, Mercedes, in the same way at 4D Lab that you talk about people being themselves, I feel like we're also saying, be your region, you know, be, be your region, your organization, be your region. And then that brings up First Nations wisdom, which is you are your region. You know, you hear them talking about you are the water, you are the river, the river is you. And I think it, the same, that same reciprocity is in our region. So I, I guess, um, Yulia, I want to pass to you now. 
Denmark is fam- is is very famous for its design culture, and I think it could be quite interesting to explore your perspective on why this is, and also why and how it's influencing this work around circular economy and sustainable transition, even towards to regeneration. Like, yeah, how is how is that happening? What does that look like? Are there examples that you can give from your work? Sure, sure, Matt. Uh, I think, well, Denmark has a really strong design system and it goes back to the 20s, 30s, 40s with some pretty, you know, strong profile designers who managed to introduce, it was especially furniture in a new way. And I think what was important was that it was beautiful and it was very democratic. So it was accessible and it was very functional and it was simple. And, and, and we see many of these design classics that we're still using today. I have a few in my house and they only, they only, um, uh, they just get more and more beautiful the older they get. So there's a really strong tradition there. And I think that's a, that's an old design story, but I think we are, we are, we're still leaning on it and it's, it's an important part of our history. And I think, and thank you for making these connections to place, Matt, because it's got me thinking and complete, I'm, I'm starting to see patterns now that I, I didn't necessarily see so clearly before. But I think with this history and with this craftsmanship of creating something beautiful and functional and, and, and something that lasts, I think that we've also built a culture and a tradition for, for creating solutions that are simple, that are durable, that are aesthetic. And, and I think, the reason why we're good at it in goes back to uh, this society of, of uh, high livability, of collaborations, of people working together in different contexts. So what designers often do really well, uh, they, they, they are quite humbled by, you know, what's the challenge, what's the problem. They explore new issues they don't necessarily have an answer to, and then they just gather information, they gather inputs, and they try to understand how how does this problem, how does this problem solve? And before it was very user-based. So how does this, how do I solve this problem for a person sitting in a chair or in, interacting with an app or whatever, but it's becoming more and more planet-based. So actually how do I respect and, and really nurture the, the demands of, uh, of resources and people? And how do I create something of value? And I think that was very strong back in the day. And that's something that's very strong today. So we know the way we design and build products that so many decisions, it's 80% of a product's environmental footprint is defined in these in this, this stage where you design something. So design has huge powers of what's being put out there into the world. And I think that's why it's really, it's really valuable, of course, to work with, to apply this superpower, I think, in new contexts and be more humbled about, it's not just about having a having a, a really pleased user or a, a consumer. It's also just about using that empathy that, that the designers always apply towards consumers or users and, and implying that empathy for systems, for, for a geographical context, for the limits of the planet. And I think that's what I work with in, in many different ways uh, all the time to really push uh, this approach into the circular economy that is holistic that looks about collaborating the, the skills that are out there and trying to find new solutions to problems that, and you don't really know how to solve. So I think that's why 
there's like there's a strong uh, connection there, and 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 why it's really important that we use this for 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 the circular transition and also also for the regeneration and just this these approaches to working that are curious and experiment and we really experiment we test we explore mm. uh, it's 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 um yeah it makes sense in so many ways <laughs> for me thank you for walking through that yeah i think it's it's really useful to also look back in history on and why and one of the things that comes up is that preceding that time from some uh, some awareness around you know that that design movement around the nordic region was also influenced by the war you know the, the first war and having to really try and build in you know the economy and independence and you know brand all of these things this regionalism emerged and i guess that we wonder is out of this covid time this regionalism bioregionalism maybe will that become a, a driver of of innovation um yeah time time will tell but thank you for walking that through um mercedes let's let's take a, a perspective into uruguay um and uh, i from what we understand is that there's some really interesting work around multi-sector collaboration and and something that's quite unique in the way that people are organizing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. First of all, I want to say something about what Julie was mentioning. I'm an architect. I don't work as an architect, but I am an architect and I love design. And I told you I work a lot towards inclusion. And I think like exclusion is a problem of design, actually how we have designed our cities our educational system, our labor market, everything. We design it in a way in which people are excluded. So, and you were saying about, and you were talking exactly about that, how, how important stage of design is. So I was <laughs> thinking about that and, and then I follow with this and, and I tell you about a little bit about this platform that we are creating actually. We, uh, besides being at 4D, I'm also, a member of the board of Sistema B. Sistema B is a, actually is an organization that works uh, towards creating a more inclusive, equitative and regenerative economy. And I am, and we, we are in Latin America, but it's also part of a global movement. And so we get together actually people from Sistema B, but also from the Wellbeing Economy Alliance, from the Common Good Economy, from the Human Economy. Well, I also work on the Inclusive Economy and people from different sectors. And, and we invited people from the financial sector, uh, from the United Nations, from the Academy. Uh, also groups that, uh, also organizations that gather different businesses that are trying to change the way they do business um, and we created this like let's say like multi-sector platform uh, or um, finding ways to innovate in economy because at the end of the day economy what drives us economy means how we manage our home so it's very important. It's not something just for the economies. So, uh, and 
we've been working together with many others. Again, everything is related to collaboration, to working together, and especially people that maybe diverse people, because the more diverse the group is, the richer the interactions and the better you're gonna find different ways, new ways, innovative ways of doing things. And we created like, we have like four strategic pillars. And one is about creating a new narrative for the economy. So we can take a look at the long-term and stop just looking at the short-term. We have this narrative we inherited and we have to create new ones. So this is one of the pillars, like working together with many others in order to develop a new narrative. Also proposing a, like training, research for the, in order to analyze and to create new knowledge based on this. Because if not, it's like we are creating new things, but if you don't research on that in order to see how to implement it better or to also to show it to other people, because for instance, if we are talking about innovating in the economy. Well, you need to look at that, the university as well. Because if not, then students are studying something that is from the past. So, well, we, that is an, another pillar. Of course, another one is trying to identify groups of people, communities to create either local, regional or global to create new alliances in order to build this together, together with many others. And then they creating a hub for economy innovation. Uh, also with people participating from different sectors. We're working on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something like it's very, very challenging, but really interesting. Yeah, brilliant. It's so great to hear kind of both of the responses and, and uh, it'd be great to to pick up at a, perhaps a, another time to better understand the, the the history, the impulses to why that energy towards collaboration and partnership is 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 so strong in in Uruguay and Montevideo, uh, and um, it, it's it's just interesting. And I think what's happening in this conversation and this links to some of what connects us is that regions are now starting to look more and more beyond themselves. And to see how they work in partnership. So this this foundation layer of a region like Uruguay starting to create this multi-sector uh, platform for collaboration where different alliances and different networks are starting to come together. And then in you know in Denmark, people organizing and 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 kind of starting to become more aware of superpowers and things. Then the next stage is like, okay, so how do we then start to work between Uruguay and, and Denmark or Uruguay, Denmark and Melbourne or Mendoza or Tel Aviv, or we start to expand and create this dialogue. And then that opens up this, this movement of, um, I guess, international impact trade is, is something that we've been um, working on. And, and of course, that's in collaboration with Pedro Turac at Sistema Bear, who was the bridge that, that brought us um, together, Mercedes, and then also uh, Nile Skultz from uh, B Corp in the Nordics that, that connected us, Julia. And this work that we're doing on the Regional Impact Trade Alliance, uh, which is an emerging not-for-profit organization, which is enabling 
um, uh, market-led regeneration that is really grounded in in place. So how does how do we work together, or how do two regions create a solution um, for a third region around climate resilience and and action, or social inclusion, or biodiversity loss? So I just want to while we've got a a minute or two, just as we close. Um, I'm very curious, Julia, if you were to think about something that Denmark, looking forward, can develop this awareness of its design culture and to support other regions on this sustainable and circular transition, is there one idea or principle that really you think is important for decision makers in your region to keep in mind in the way that they look forward to the future? Um, and that might be different from the past. So just just to get it, so one, uh, do you think like what do you mean when you say a principle from from decision makers? Just to get it completely clear. Yeah. So so I guess by that I mean um, at the moment, uh, Denmark has a strong design culture. Like you know, we've got uh, furniture and you know products and different things that people will have exported around the world and become recognized. But now the potential is that, you know, Denmark may be exporting part of its design thinking culture in the way that regions go about their circular and sustainable transition. So um, if you think about decision makers within your region, the way that they might position themselves um, in terms of international trade and things like, what do you see as that potential of saying, hey, we've done this, but if we apply it into this context, there's this whole world of possibility. It just means seeing things differently. But what, what do you see? Well, I think we are already to, to, to some extent, you know, you know, um, just you know, selling the design thinking approach as a, as a way of, 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 of working. And, um, and I think many are, I find this in terms of, of, of the circular transition. And I don't know if this is uniquely in our to our region, but I think something that is really interesting also when you say new narratives, um, Mercedes, I think there's I think there's a really strong principle about it. if you want a transition, and if you want and 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 I think we we found especially when when the environmental crisis and so many other crises, we have to our existing system is not going to cut it for this transformation. We have to be able to take you know massive new steps then I think coming from design that scenarios are a very, very powerful tool. And I think both looking, looking back and understanding your history, but also really dramatically thinking forward and thinking what might, how might this society look, feel, taste, smell like if it were actually what we wanted it to be. It was, if it had wild biodiversity, if it was sustainable, how would it be for a citizen to walk around in the street? How would I relate to my family? How would I get to work? What would I eat? And to be able to constantly evoke an empathy for the future. I think that's a really strong tool because we are we're in a position where I think everyone is, no, not everyone, but a lot of people are acknowledging the fact that things have to change. But but people, many people see that all, all the all the um, all the compromises, all the restrictions, all the stuff they have to not do, and I think we really need to you know evoke design as what we dream of and what like what we we want to you know 
a direction for where we should go. And I think scenarios look different if they're made in a Danish Copenhagen context than if they're dreamed up in Melbourne. And I think they can be a really powerful tool also both for engaging uh, a broad ecosystem around you, but also for being more clear about those superpowers, looking back in your history and daring to look so so like on the long forward. Because I think when we look back at all our history, I think what what really shaped us was, was people who dared to think new and to think differently. So how do we actually apply that and use design as a very concrete tool for just making futures tangible and yeah. Brilliant. If that makes sense. Absolutely. It, I, I mean, my mind Good. just went straight to a challenge that we're having in <laughs> Melbourne around working towards the swimmable Birurung or Yarra River by 2030. And there's there's mm. practical applications of technology that could be learned from Copenhagen. But these scenar scenarios of looking at this is a swimmable Birurung, this is a swimmable Birurung, different versions, that the empathy for the future, it's very clear. Um, and Mercedes, a very curious you know, if if you were supporting other regions to really explore the opportunities for multi-sector collaboration in more detail, what's one key recommendation that you would have for them in going about that process? First of all, I think we we all need to be humble, I would say. Sometimes what happens is that difficult to work with other with other people or with other, or people that think differently because we always believe we need to know everything or we need to be right and here I think things that are right or wrong are just one or two very basic ones like don't hurt living things like and but we need to be, we need to trust, to build trust, to create this atmosphere of trust. Uh, be daring, daring in being humble. Well, whatever, well, I know this, but I don't know everything. Maybe I disagree with you, but I can build something together with you for a future we want. Because, or because we, we know we need to transform things. And we can only do that together with others. So this is the most important thing. I think we need to, to truly believe in the power of working together. And especially when we are different and when we think differently and when we see the world from different perspectives, because that's the only way in which we're gonna find new ways of doing things. And and try and be ready to make a mistake and then go over again and try again. I don't know, be curious about what other people think, other solutions. I feel that this is, these are the most important things and connect, connect with the person, not the ideas or what he or she represents because maybe that person comes from an organization that, I don't know, I don't like for certain reasons, but I'm connecting with the person. Uh, so I think these are the important things we need to, to address and especially and listen. 
listen with your with all your body, not just with not listen, really listen with your heart, with your mind, not only with your mind, but also with your heart, with your body. Listen to the other, connect. And immediately you start finding bridges, way of doing things. It's amazing. Mercedes, I think that's a really wise note to end on and something you mentioned before about making mistakes. I've realized that a couple of times and apologies, Julia. Um, I pronounced your name, Julie, a couple of times, but I feel like there's something in there for this conversation around... Um, no worries. <laughs> I was seeing your name through um, the English-speaking, you know, Australian, New Zealand lens that I bring. And it was really interesting um, when I had that moment of, oh gosh, I've been pronouncing this wrong. And, and I think, you know, this conversation about seeing the world through different lens and understanding, um, you know, what different places are like and what different cultures and communities are like, I think that definitely something that I'll take forward with me, but I think also um, slightly metaphorical in terms of what we've been talking about today. Um, so to wrap things up, and I, I think um, Yulia and Mercedes, what you were saying towards the end of the discussion, I think really rounded things out so nicely, which is that concept of firstly understanding um, the world that we want to create and, you know, thinking to ourselves, what would this place be like if we designed it exactly how we want to and really defining what good looks like using um, those really solid design concepts. You know, Yulia, you talked about Danish design and how that thinking can be used to um, progress from just thinking about designing for people to also designing for places and, and ecosystems. And then I think secondly, um, you spoke about this a lot, a lot, Mercedes, is that idea of connecting with people and listening to others and, um, you know, making sure that you're interacting with people who bring a different perspective to you in order to um, address some of the challenges that you might face. And you know, reach that vision that you've set for the world you want to create. So I think that's such a wise way of looking at the world. And I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so that wraps things up. And thank you again so much, Yulia and Mercedes, for joining us. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Voices of Region. Ka kite.